Did you know that in the late 1600s, a small group of ordinary people rose up against the establishment and changed society forever? The world called them pirates, but these pirates didn't just break the rules, they rewrote them. They didn't just reject society, they reinvented it. Pirate crews created equal pay, equal say, workplace compensation and even same-sex marriage. In the face of industrial-scale disruption, global conflict and an uncertain future, the pirates of the golden age weren't quite the villains that Disney would have you believe. Welcome to our Be More Pirate podcast. I'm Alex Barker. And I'm Sam Conniff. In 2018, my first book, Be More Pirate, was published by Penguin Random House. After 20 years working with young creatives, the book was an outlet for my frustrations and a quest for some new role models who could capture the spirit of rebellion I knew we so desperately need to tackle the big challenges ahead. And I found it in Pirates. The book then became something far bigger than I ever expected. Be More Pirate is now a global movement of people and organisations taking a stand to update the rules, systems and business models that are no longer fit for purpose. And I went from being Sam's right-hand pirate to leading this community and writing a second book to tell their story. So if you, like so many in our crew, find yourself dissatisfied with the status quo, then this podcast is here to give you permission to do things differently. We'll be interviewing some of the best pirates out there, people who really live their values and are willing to stick their head above the parapet for the greater good. We'll tackle some uncomfortable conversation topics and delve into what it really takes to break and rewrite the rules today. I'm really, really excited today to have on with us Peter McFadden from Flatpak Democracy. He is the founder and instigator of the Flatpak Democracy movement, which is a movement to really reclaim local politics. Peter is the ex-mayor and Froome Town Council leader, uh, Froome in Somerset, for those of you that don't know. He's the author of two books on flat-pack democracy, uh, is also a speaker, an undertaker, a grandfather. And uh, yeah, I, I first met Peter last year, um, I think, when you sent us a photo of you reading Be More Pirate. Um, and I can't remember whether it was before or after we'd met on a Zoom call, but after I very, very rapidly read the two flat pack books and was totally blown away by how much the pirate principles you, you how much you'd use them in in setting up flat pack back in 2011 and this the ideas of redistribution of power and reorganizing yourselves are so embedded in in uh, flat pack I was like this is the this is the piracy of politics today so I was super keen to talk to you and definitely have you on the podcast at a later date. So thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. No, great. I'm very happy to be here because, yeah, I, absolutely, I agree. I'm sure I sent you that photo because I read the first book and went, you know, in like with each chapter or with each thing, it's like, whoa, that's exactly what we did. But or that's exactly how we might have done it. Or, you know, with, with obviously slightly different language and different tweets. But, yeah, the serendipity was amazing. I, I wonder if there's any kind of geographic uh and it suddenly occurs to me because, you know, Froome has had that reputation for quite a long time and, and you know, Bristol and the Southwest. And, and, and as we kind of relayed in the book, uh, that's the kind of spiritual homeland of pirates. You know, maybe there's some kind of underlying, you know, energy ley line kind of overlaps between us all as well. <laughs> and there might well be. And, and Cornwall is currently a sort of epicentre of revolt. Well, it's been an epicentre of revolt for years, but um, yeah, but they're particularly revolting at the moment, which is very exciting. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I thought for the beginning, we, just for those people who are listening, and hopefully what we can do here is uh, spread the flat pack campaign to people who've never heard of it before. It would be really great if you could explain a bit more about what the hell flat pack democracy is or flat packery and all the different guises that it comes under. Um, I've heard it called 
the you know DIY politics, the secret weapon of politics. So, which I think makes it sound great, but a little bit mysterious. So, how did it all come to be? So, um, the flat packery bit, which I, has also been called flat cap and um, flapjack and various things, turns out to be a great word. I mean, the, the word itself was just the idea of DIY. So, it was nicked from IKEA, and um, it was a, it's a book title. But the idea that you can you can um, uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's the DIY bit of politics and trying to break away from the conventional mould of party politics. And I mean, it's it's history, incredibly briefly, is uh, 2011, a bunch of people in Froome who are, are variously dissatisfied with a, 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 a town council, which wasn't particularly corrupt or anything, but it was very unambitious. It was a standard uh, party political council who spent a lot of their time bickering along national party lines did very little, and a group of us who weren't friends particularly, but who'd met through um, different things we had in common, happened to be in the pub at the same time, and talking about, uh, you know, could there be more? And one of us in particular knew that austerity was coming down the line, and that actually town and parish councils, local councils, needed will need to do more, because resources were not going to come from central government. And another one knew that the Localism Act was about to happen, which theoretically gave power at this local level. So it's like, hey, is there something interesting in here? And really, all we want, thought at that time is let's, let's just stir this up a bit. None of us had been uh, local politicians. None of us knew much about the council, to be honest, except that it didn't do much. And we thought, let's have fun. And, um, and where are we? Three or four months later, 10 of us were elected onto the council um, and suddenly went, oh, shit, we seem to run through now. And then we're in this position of, of constantly asking, um, so why do we do that? The, um, the, the, the worst answer to which, from the staff's point of view, was because we always do, do, which was like a red rag to us in the sense of, right, well, I think we'll get rid of that then. And, you know, and sometimes we got rid of things, and a while later we'd have to go, okay, I've now worked out why we were doing that. Quick, let's put the plug back in, um, or whatever it was, you know. Um, but it, it, it meant we could tear up the rules um, very quickly and, um, and found that all sorts of things that people have been doing for years didn't need doing and don't need doing. And actually, it turns out that this sector, this whole town, parish, uh, you know, layer, much of what it does is incredibly antiquated and, you know, was created in some Victorian era and is totally unfit for the 21st century. So then... Um, the flatback bit came because I wrote a book about how we took power and then another one about, so what? I mean, what do we do with it? Um, and then I tried to propagate, tried to, well, I don't know, support others who want to follow a similar model of whom there have now been quite a few. Can, can I ask you, what, what did you learn from that? Because it's, it, it's uh, as Alex and I caught up earlier on today, and as we've all just said, that the surprising similarity between our work uh, is just so profound. And in that exact line, when we've been running these kind of mutiny sessions in large organizations, small organizations, wherever, uh, exact for similar flag for us, when you say, why do we do it like that? Because that's how we've always done it. That's a real clue for us that that is when people ask us about rule breaking and isn't that irresponsible, that is direction of travel in which to go. But after a time, you need, there needs to be a kind of, um, uh, a nuance here. So how did you begin to be able to divine or determine between the institutions that are there and need to be protected 
And those are the ones that need to be provoked because we find ourselves in, a, you know, the kind of the swathes of populism around the world. Well, you know, we, there's, there's a similarity in the message, tear this down and build something new. So yet at the same time, what we need to protect us from those that would uh, take away powers as, as we're experiencing right now, mid pandemic, knowing which ones are there to protect and which ones to provoke. What did you learn about that over that process? Yeah, what an interesting question. I mean, we certainly made mistakes or not exactly mistakes, um, but we, as I say, we did, we took some things down which didn't need to be. Um, so some of it was just by trial and error. Um, because, because you kind of can't know. But I think the, the main thing that I'd say we learned, and, and it was led by a phrase of Mel Asher's, who was very much our well, leading light in many ways, which is that we won't kill anyone. That at this level of local government, we're not making decisions about care homes or, or roads or education. Um, so actually, it's worth taking the risk. So, so we can take the risk of taking whatever it is down, um, and, uh, you know, stopping doing it because nobody's going to die in the, in, in, in the bit in between. A few people might get, um, a bit upset, especially those who've always done it like that. And there were plenty of examples like that where people had always done like that, particularly around tradition. Which is a, which is a really tricky area, quite a, because quite a lot of what parish and town councils do is is quite traditional. You know, the mayor with his with his um, uh, or her chain and these different, you know, the town crier and all that. You can seriously upset people when you when you take some of those things down or take them away. Um, and so that, I think that's where we had to do some quite rapid learning because we did upset some people early on and went, actually, hang on a minute, it doesn't cost that much to do this ancient thing. Let's do it. Um, but, uh, but a lot of that we got rid of. I, there's a phrase which I really like, which is, um, tradition is, uh, peer pressure from the dead. And, um, you know, the, a lot of that tradition in town councils is, is just nonsense. It's just, you know, irrelevant. I'm not sure that answers you, but I think we, we kind of learned as, as we, we went along and it's, so it's about taking risks and being brave, I suppose. All good pirate stuff. Yes. I wanted to ask because if, first of all, I think it would really help to clarify for the audience. So if you're not dealing with things like care homes, uh, roads, what at a town council level are you, what, you know, if you're thinking about maybe standing or being involved in local politics, what can you do um, that would improve the life of the community? And secondly, when you talk, you do talk a lot about risk and the necessity for risk taking and, but what does a risk look like in your experience and in what you've seen from other councils using Flatpak? Two questions at once. Can I deal with that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, So um, town councils traditionally don't do very much and they don't have to do very much. They have to, they, they legally have to have one meeting a year and provide allotments. That's it. But that aforementioned localism act, one of the few things which it did do was allow for a change where town councils could do anything. So if the, if the uh, clerk, um, who's the, the paid employee, um, let's turn my video off for a sec. Um, if the paid employee, um, uh, is properly qualified, they can do anything which is legal. Um, so that means big jump from allotments to anything. Exactly. And that's what we realized as Froome that you could, that you could, you could borrow money. You can you can raise taxes. Um, these local councils aren't uh, capped, so unlike every other level of council in Britain, you can raise tax by five hundred percent if you feel like it. 
and and you know we I think the first year we raised it by thirty percent or something and and but other councils who've done similar things have raised their taxes by hundred percent as soon as they've got in um, and you can do that should you so wish and it sounds like a ah gosh why should you do that but actually if it turns out that if the people are on board um, people are usually up for this if they understand that what are maybe quite small amounts of money even if they're a high percentage you know doubling your contribution from 50 quid a year to 100 actually means you can do something uh, with the park that's been totally uh, you know de um, derelict for years you can co-fund um, a project that then leads to something else with a lottery grant and da -da -da -da, you know so it's all about ambition really and in terms of risks, I suppose quite a lot of that is about borrowing uh, money. People are enormously averse to borrowing um, often and don't understand, uh, you know, what can be done now for the future. And I think that was one of the main things that we, we did. You can borrow as a town council from something called the Works and Loans Board, which is central government money, from, for incredibly low rates. So we borrowed... Um, a third of a million pounds at one and a half percent over 30 years. So you're basically, it's, it's, you're paying virtually no interest. And over that period, inflation will have meant that, you know, that what you're paying off will reduce and reduce and reduce. So with that, we completely rebuilt, revitalized the, uh, a huge hall in the middle of Froome, which is a, a separate charity, a massive community asset, which has become a real focal point in the town. So, but some people would see that as a as a risk. How can you borrow that much money? It, it, you know, it, it was around borrowing. I think particularly um, we took risks. What I find is people tend to talk about new politics and they just imagine the same, which is like, should we create a new political party? Whereas what you've done is also change the structure, but you've also implemented an, a different culture within a new structure, including a, a different mindset. So I was going to ask if you could maybe talk a little bit about some of the ways of working together as a group of independent people who have to register as a minor political party in order to kind of come into power. You know, how do you form your crew? How do you get them to work together, especially if you don't have a unifying point of frustration, say you're not all kind of up for like demolishing, I don't know, a particular rule or building or whatever it is, because you've done some really, really interesting things. You've talked before about the importance of facilitation in meetings and that sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right about facilitation um, and having that in there. I think there are three things that, are, that kind of run through this. One is um, using facilitation. So the, the, the reason for that is that you don't have a leader. You don't have a chair. You don't have somebody who's, who's going to um, end up running the thing, um, whether they want to or not. I mean, and it's not, they, they may well not to and not want to. And the trouble is that if they do, then others kind of fall away. Oh, well, Sam's going to do it. Why should I bother? You know. And so it's, it, it, leadership is a real problem uh, within a group of people who do have a common aim. They have a common aim of serving and working with and supporting and catalyzing in their own community. So it's, it's really important that this is, 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 is a, you know, it's part of localism. I think. So that's what people have in common and they want to do that together. And then this, the ways of working, which you mentioned, have proven to be crucial. Um, the groups that have had some sort of ethos, some sort of set of values that they've agreed are the ones which have which are surviving and thriving. Um, and it's the same principle, incidentally, as the alternative party in Denmark, which at one point had 12 MPs. You know, so it's saying, this is how we will act together. 
It's saying it's absolutely fine, indeed, it's great to disagree. The, the more range of views we have in the room, the better. But we won't do conflict. We won't do stabbing in the back. We won't do revenge. We won't do all the things that um, I think put people off uh, party politics most. You know, we won't do uh, you know whatever it's called, question time, when people just you know shout at each other. So so all of that goes, and what you have is people trying to genuinely listen to uh, each other, genuinely be prepared to change their minds. Um, you know, to, to hear another person's view, to put themselves in the position of somebody else. And then what they link across to is an acceptance that this bunch of people has been chosen for a while to try and interpret the needs of the community, but they don't know what all those needs are. They cannot. I mean, for me, representative democracy is a joke. You cannot be elected and then represent all the needs. You have to have ongoing proper consultation. You have to do participatory democracy. And that's so easy in our society now. You can have, there's so many ways that we can be in touch with each other um, and constantly checking up on ideas and finding out what people think and bringing people in. So it's saying, can I, can I'm not really, yeah, yeah, I do. On, on that, because uh, everything here, it'd be hard to disagree with, I think. Um, but to get here, there's a certain type of person. And so I'm interested in how people kind of get, there's a phrase on your most recent blog post about people coming out in inverted commas. And, and that really struck a chord with me because I think there's lots of people that would find this very interesting. And now more than ever, because there's been this huge rise of community involvement, reconnection as to what's important, but to step out and begin to organize locally, to be the, you know, I was the person that stuck the letters, some leaflets through my street to get a WhatsApp group at the beginning of the first lockdown. And I felt like an idiot. I felt like no one was going to get back to me, like an intruder and other people's time and attention. And yet the gratitude was huge. So before even arriving at this place, there's a whole tier of people and, and who you get to unlock, who you empower to come out there and understanding the barriers that present themselves to them, particularly amongst different groups, backgrounds, diversities, et cetera. So what, what, is, what do you see is fundamental in people being able to come out and face the fear and, and participate in these programs? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's the real challenge. Um, and it's certainly the challenge which... Um, we're facing now as a, a campaign to try and get more people um, to do that. And it's where Froome and other first movers are useful because they can show that it is possible to do that, just as much of your work, um, uh, you know, with them, uh, the pirate books is, is incredibly useful because it shows what can be done and the work that you're, that you're doing, I think. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's getting ordinary people to realize that they're not ordinary, isn't it? And, uh, that's where I'm really excited by what has happened through things like the mutual aid movement and through things like your Facebook group. Um, there are so many people now who have organized food to, for, you know, housebound people and so on, who've never thought of themselves as community organizers, have never thought of themselves as, um, certainly not as politicians. But there's still a, there's still a jump between them, um, thinking that they can, t um, you know, actually speak in a council chamber, that they could be a councillor. And a lot of what I was trying to do and a lot of what the Flatback is trying to do is to break down some of that bollocks. Um, a lot of what I'm, you know, but um, others, when I, I had a, a set of um, 25 different mayoral chains which were made by the community, some of which were um, entertainingly ridiculous. 
Um, they were made of, of vegetables and um, uh, all sorts of things. But I, I, I invited people to, um, to make for me as mayor because they represented them in the community. So they were both serious but very unserious. But they were, they were aimed at saying, um, you know, there's something, there's something significantly wrong when people kind of bow and scrape to the mayor or to the, their MP, or to anybody else who they've elected to, to represent them. And we've got something really wrong in that process, because I didn't change. I was, I mean, one day I'm in the, uh, you know, in the playground picking up my children or grandchildren with people, and the next day I'm suddenly the mayor, and it's like, oh, your honour. It's like, no, 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 wait a minute, I'm still Peter. I think another really key thing that you do and is so important is this idea of, you know, making things much lighter, much more fun. You know, what of the things that you've seen happen even in, either in Froome or elsewhere that have been like good examples of making the campaign a bit like wacky or different? When you ask that, there's a moment which occurred to me where there's a, a carnival in Froome, or there was pre-COVID, um, uh, which has been going for years. And, um, at the very beginning of uh, Independence of Froome, there was a, a guy called Nick White who um, was fairly right-wing in many ways, um, and um, well, in, in lots of ways, really. And his wife said, Peter McFadden and Nick White in one, ro- in one room, this will never work. Um, and there's another councillor um, called Pippa Goldfinger, whose grandfather was the Goldfinger in, um, who Ian Fleming wrote about in, um, in Goldfinger. Anyway, when she was the mayor, there she is, paraded through the streets with Nick and I wearing basically nothing or as little as you can possibly imagine, but dressed, basically dressed entirely in gold paint. And so before the parade, we'd had to, to paint each other. And at the point when he was painting my crutch with gold, uh, gold paint, he said something like, well, it's going all right so far, isn't it, Peter? You know, and it's sort of, for me, you know, but and people could see that and could see that this is a different way of doing things. Um, you know, and and actually, the, the people I was talking to in um, uh, in Hennesford this morning were saying the same thing. They are a group which is really interesting because they were all party local uh, political party people, and they said one day to each other, "This is crap. Why are we wasting all our time? You know, arguing about these things. Let's leave all that at the door." And it, they they apparently it seems they really have. The two people I were talking to had both stood as parliamentary candidates um, for different parties. And they were joking away and chatting about what they're doing. I mean, they've now formed um, Chase Independence. So they've become an independent group. They've you know, left their political parties in that sense. But they've also left all the baggage. And, and they were, they're clearly having a lot of fun. Um, they've just started um, Chase TV, which is bringing in uh, little bits of community people. You know, it's just, to me, ah, it's just the things that, that drive us in ordinary life and excite us and, um, uh, and we enjoy doing, I think. Um, there's a line, isn't there? If you really want to change the world, all you have to do is throw a better party. And you know, it's 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 easy the second you start talking about having fun for it to be written off as frivolity and what's otherwise considered to be a serious business. But when we know that one of the big challenges that the kind of progressive idealists, not idealists, but progressive thinkers of the world face is we don't have a counter narrative that's as appealing as the fantasy ones that is often put forward by you know some of the populist uh, leaders that we've got and, and and part of that is a compelling vision and and humans desire for it to be you know to have a carnival at the middle of it and and why the hell not and again that's a, a part of the spirit why pirates overlaps so if i take that idea right and 
what you've done and make it very local and make it very understandable. What's the opportunity now to go kind of micro local? Because I know there's a lot of people, me included, who are so in over the failures of politics locally and, and nationally that I, f- I find it hard to, you know, whilst I, f- I find deep inspiration in what you're doing, and part of me wants to go, yeah, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and take over my local parish. Another part of me has spent too much time in my local council chambers to really ever want to believe it again. But it feels like there's this opportunity right now at the dawn of 2021. There, and, and, and you've already mentioned mutual aid groups, but even if we go again below mutual aid groups, there must be, I'm going to guess, tens of thousands of WhatsApp groups that, that, that have brought together estates, cul-de-sacs, streets around the UK. So there's people speaking to each other in a way that they haven't before. And these might just dissolve post-COVID. What's the opportunity to take your, you know, or based on what you've learnt, what do you think could take that sense of fun, but also power, onto a street-by-street basis? Yeah, good good point. And I think that's absolutely the crux of, of where things might go and get really exciting. So the, I, I, we know there are 50 in Froome because um, there's a group of, there's a network of those 50 um, groups now um, who are working independently of the council. You know, so so not only are they kind of doing a little bits of local politics in their own street, but they're networked into a group who could have a view on something, which is not the view that comes through their representatives in the council, although, of course, it could be sent to or shared with um, the council. There's a a, um, a movement to start little network groups and join them up. Interestingly, not based on wards of the old system at all, but based on where people say they live. So in other words, um, if you do a bit of research in Sheffield, you say, where do you live? People say, oh, I live in I don't know, the Brooks. Oh, I live on the on the hill. I live on the... And those are, those are their real communities, so, I mean, where they feel they live. Um, and and so the discussion that they're having and I'm on the edges of is so what happens if all of those groups do start having views on different things and are encouraged in that direction? And and yes, it, the things which will get the most traction will be what, what actually inf- uh, um, affects them in that street. So that as an example, when I was talking to... Um, the other day, there's a lot of um, houses which have a particular rat problem behind them. So there's a real concern about about rats and that street and whether they'll spread. You know, so so that becomes their key issue. But can that spread bigger and bigger? And you know, my possibly naive hope is that yeah, it could. And then it gets like pixels all over the country. You get this other layer of real decision making that really impacts on people's lives and people care about. Sometimes. They jump up and, and have a view on something bigger, like, I don't know what, Brexit or something. That, um, no, we've done that, haven't we? But, um, you know, something, something else that's, that's more national. But usually it's really micro. And the national politicians, or even the, the city politicians, they don't have to take any notice, because legally they don't. But, ooh, you'd kind of want to. I mean, if, you know, you, it, will, you, it will be a fairly ill-advised if the, if the whole, you know, if Sheffield's alternative democracy is saying we don't want to cut down the trees because that's a huge issue in Sheffield or has been then and and that's very clear that thousands of people have said that if you go ahead and cut them down are they going to vote for you next time so that's uh, exactly that is what really excites me and that's what um you know that's what uh encouraging local councils um town councils parish councils is about too to get that sort of pixel effect across the country 
because I can't see how I'm going to influence um, traditional, I mean, sort of national politics. It's it's hopeless. I, I I'm not rich enough. I am, you know, I can't buy my way into the um, the, the the system, which is the only way to actually get any influence. Yeah, it strikes me that we've we've done the opposite thing. We've asked people to part to only participate in politics on on a monumentally huge and complex thing like Brexit, which no one understands fully, and and not even economists fully understand what the long term or agree on what, what the long term implications are or, or would have been, and yet. And and we haven't even started at the basics of asking people to make decisions or we don't allow them to make decisions on on whether you should, you know, we've done it in my local area, whether we should cordon off the end of the street so that it's pedestrianised, essentially. So there's no experience of that kind of participation at all and understanding trade-offs and things like that that you inevitably have to make. And so when... So, I'm not, it's, so it's so unsurprising that it imploded in the way that it did. But yeah, I agree that that micro-local level should be where we start however sam and i were talking about this before what what what's your opinion on sort of the risk of becoming too inward looking and too you know dare i say it parochial or or too focused you know losing the the global perspective which we also very much need particularly when it's, it comes to climate change and environmental issues and the level of global cooperation that we need so do you find that there is com- conflict about that and and you know sometimes how closely the message might align with some other groups around rec- taking back power that might not be what you had in mind? <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. And I found myself doing it um, uh, some time ago where um, house prices in Froome have risen and risen and risen, um, partly because um, more and more people have come from London to live here. And, um, you know, there's a, certainly locally there's a quite a lot of feeling about that. And, and I remember saying once, no, no, we, we don't need any more. We're full. And I suddenly thought, I sound just like Nigel Farage. Um, no, it's, it's that sort of sudden realization that, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right that, um, that it is, there's definitely a risk of that parochialism. And I think the way that certainly in Froome, it's, it, we've been sort of saved, perhaps that's the wrong word, but that, um, it's the environmental bit, which, which is the way out of this. Because, um, you're right, uh, Alex, it's, it, you know, climate change won't, doesn't care whether you've got a boundary around Froome or not. Um, you know, it will affect us all and is already affecting us all, uh, you know, it, 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 and will do increasingly. Um, and many people recognize that. So there are issues that come up which are not really about Froome. Um, I've always been really into local and global, or whichever way around it is, global and local. I mean, you, you know, getting into the detail, um, but also having a, a, a wider um, global view. So we declared Froome frack-free, um, you know, whatever it was, eight or nine years ago, and there are signs around Froome saying frack-free Froome. Um, and of course, it's kind of meaningless in one sense, but it was also, it was a statement about what we as a town um, felt in terms of, of, of the wider um, position. And then we, um, again, as a town council, and I think this was pretty much unique at the time, um, introduced a whole load of ethical policies. We um, invested ethically, uh, and then a whole load of environmental policy that came through the town council, which was which was also a um, a signal to the rest of the town that you know we felt these things were important. I, I buy that. I think that's how how communities work. I, I really live by that um, quote. No matter the question, the answer can always be community. And 
you know the climate ecological crisis is not a not a planetary problem it's a humanity problem and the, the more we convince ourselves it's, it's it's a problem for the world it's not um and so how we address it as either a global community probably is going to be informed by how we act as a local community but acting well as local communities uh we have to get past the divisions uh, that have afflicted us so so starkly recently um i enjoyed your comparison to nigel farage seconds ago um but if we were going to build on that a little bit, it's true what Alex says. You know, your 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 message is is uh, one of um, question, disdain, or, or criticism, um, and fairly so, I would say, towards Westminster politics. Um, and I read the words uh, "take back power" on your website. You know, it's only a few years ago that that disdain for Westminster politics and the mention of take back control was another campaign. Um, and it would be unfair to to write any part of the part. part You've, any views of anyone in the country offers as solely parochial. So what sympathy do you have for that sentiment as it was and, and where it's led us? Because there must be some overlap in your thinking. All great movements, you know, meet at the edges. Um, and in understanding our similarities and our differences, we, we possibly have a chance of moving past this. Yeah, and I, probably more sympathy than I'd like to admit. <laughs> in yeah, the sense I think that, that's, that's probably helpful and healing. So let's, mm. let's explore that. I mean, in that, that certainly the frustration of living here is often that we are trumped in front of me, claim the world, uh, the word, um, uh, uh, you know, by, by decisions from above that, um, so for instance, there's a, um, a, a planned housing estate to be dumped on the, or added to the side of room of 1700 houses. We'll have very little say in that. Um, ultimately, Froome will be, people in Froome will be widely consulted and, and, and. But, you know, ultimately, it'll be either the Minister of State who will make that decision or certainly people higher up. And that's happening all over the country. And that's infuriating and, um, and, ah, it's so disempowering. Um, and, and that's true of so many other areas, I think, where, where, you know, actually we could have, we could have been useful in the planning process. For instance, I mean, if in that case, if the people of Froome understood the need better, but we're just told there is a need for housing, and you kind of go, "Is there really?" Uh, you know, or whatever, and then and then this happens. I, I, in, there was a, there's a bit of this which I'll confess to too, where I, I wish I'd stayed longer in a way uh, as a councillor in order to know more about, which which was around power and particularly ego, which I write a little bit about in the second book. But it's uh, there were things uh, uh, you know which I. I began to understand more, and also being a man, I began to understand more the power that I didn't realise I had just by being a man. You see what I mean? That it, when I was in a meeting with, uh, you know, uh, particularly if they were less experienced um, other people, particularly less experienced women, I, I, I kind of, I'd only begun to realise um, that often I, I needed to take po really positive steps to make sure that people were properly listened to and included. I mean, I'm a nice bloke. I was trying to be nice. I was trying to include them, but it was only afterwards that I realised that that actually uh, I, I, I hadn't, by any means, always succeeded, and and was still walking all over people, or jumping in, or you know, um, in my enthusiasm or whatever it might have been. And there's the, the, the ego is a really big thing in all this. I think ego and, and power. Do you think because that often I think the the issues that we are touching on the problems. Are, have great commonalities. You know, they're horizontals across all aspects of society, yet typically our solutions divide themselves into kind of verticals. So 
um, you know, climate crisis, uh, the social issues befitting a town because of migration or whatever. They're, you know, they're affected by everything from the economy to jobs to education to, to, to whatever. Um, and so a political solution is only going to have this kind of one slice in there. Do you, have you observed that the flat pack approach could be rolled out into other institutions or, or, or areas of change? So my frustration at the moment is education because I've got two small children in education and I um, you know, incredibly impressed by the teaching staff, but I'm woeful about the curriculum and how it's designed to a kind of 20th century mode of preparing automatons for propping up capitalism. Um, and so what I'd love to do with, you know, other teachers and, and, and parents is to, you know, flat pack our own, uh, you know, not to drag them all into homeschooling, but to re-engineer the education system in much the same way you're, you're, you're the pathfinders and pioneers of re-engineering local politics. Do you, do you think it can be reapplied into other institutions and areas of life? Yeah, I not only think it can, Sam, but it, but it must. And education is, is classically so. I, I mean, I have many of these conversations at the moment because my son's uh, training as a teacher trainer uh, to be a teacher um, in a primary school, you know, in primary. Uh, so, so he's coming back or talking to me about some of these things which are just you know, it's like, ah, why, why are we doing, why are we, um, you know, continuing these things? He's just written a long and very, um, very fascinating um, essay on risk, you know, which, because children are, you know, risk is taken out of everything um, methodically, but yet it's one of the main ways that we learn. And we were talking about it earlier, and it's one of the main ways that we learnt as a council and really change things by taking, uh, taking risks. Yeah, I think it has to be. I've forgotten his name, but there's a guy who's written a book that brings together all of uh, a lot of work in um, manufacturing industries. And he's, he's a Frenchman. Um, I, I mean, there are a, a whole range of businesses who've who've collapsed the way that they do things and, and and brought the workers, not just one or two worker representatives onto the board, but really putting the workers into central positions. Um, and and those sorts of things, I mean, have, have got to happen. They where where the people who are on, you know, really doing the work are the people who, who are informing the decisions. It's the porters in the, in the hospital system who surely ought to be redesigning much of the way that the, that the NHS works, isn't it? Um, I mean, they'll know the what's going closest, on. Yeah. The people with the closest proximity to the problem should be called to the solutions. You yeah. Know, this is Alex's, I mean, that's rephrasing Alex, but something that she's made me really yeah. realise. I'm obsessed with this principle because it's so, it's a clear principle that you could apply in almost every setting and it doesn't happen anyway. Well, whatever institution sector, almost always there is a huge disconnect and gap. And there's also there's loads of well-respected people, not just it's not me just talking about it. There's tons of people who've written books that include this idea and it's human-centered design and co-production and all of this stuff that's been talked about. And th this huge gap between what's applied and what's talked about just is just everything's out of kilter it's just finding the situations where you can implement that small change and just bring the people into this but then again it's what you said peter it comes back to things like ego absolutely there is this sense and we've been in this game for a while um that the kind of there was a broad level of optimism until maybe around 2012 and since then rather than feeling like things are getting better i i, I perceive a general sense that things can be getting worse and and part of that is connected to the people that are in real power and like you say are hard to influence outside of finance aren't there because they're there to serve the common good they're there because of their egos and an addiction to power and, and various things and, and also it's such a it's it's a bit of a toxic job at the moment um so 
key to knowing your morals is, is knowing where the edges of them are. And that seems to be part of the problem at the top. At what point would things have to worsen before kind of, and this is a bit of a blunt um, way of saying it, would flat pack democracy become pitchfork democracy? At which point does it turn into a fight? Um, you know, elections have been delayed. They may be delayed again. There's conspiracy theories that this is a trans, you know, COVID's used as a transference of power and wealth, but actually, you know, a lot of the argument is based on stuff that's actually happening. Um, where's your line on direct action and, and, and disobedience? Because, you know, what you've got at the moment is an incredibly progressive and practical approach to reorganizing uh, democracy. But for how, for how much further would the central idea of democracy not have to not work before you moved up a gear? Uh I'm not sure I'd call it up a gear. Do you mean uh, you, you turn to violence? Um, I, I mean, resorting to more extreme methods. It wouldn't necessarily be violence, no. Um, but, you know, if, if the problem that you're seeking to address ultimately is going to run into a place where you've got immoral leaders, so you, a logical response isn't going to work to an illogical problem. So at what point, you know, if there's going to be a transference of power to, to a fairer model, direct action is shown to work at certain points in this journey. And so knowing that you're a person of clear morals, at what point would the response continue to be amoral and demonstrate its own corruption and failings before you felt that a different approach was necessary? Where, where do you draw the line? I don't think it ever would. I think it has. I think the moment it steps out of nonviolent direct action, then it's lost its way. And also it then plays straight into the hands of the powers that be. Because, because once it's, uh, you know, stepped up uh, into um, something which is much more violent or aggressive, or uh, then, then suddenly it becomes a terrorist threat. It becomes it becomes much easier to squash, among other things. So, so I mean, this is obviously the the core of the philosophy of Extinction Rebellion as well, isn't it? That once it, you know, while it is, you know, old ex mayors like me who are being arrested, that works. Uh, but um, but if I start hitting policemen, it kind of doesn't. And we've seen that with Extinction Rebellion. Once it sort of stepped over the edge, it's it, it um, you know headed into some really wobbly territory. Yeah, I, I think it has to remain something which is of the masses. How to get it to be of the masses is is the real challenge, which goes back to your earlier point about how do we how do we get people to to see that they can be part of this, that that ha- that they can take on this other voluntary role in the community for a while in order to really get stuff done um no, but so that would be my answer it, it, it can't it's it's something different if it if it um moves beyond that and it and for me personally it moves into a, it's well it's not somewhere i want to go thank you that's that feels like a really good note to end on um a very very firm line in the sand for you peter uh <laughs> the kind of morals that we'd expect of leaders that we look up to yeah I'm just, well, as Alex said at the beginning, at the moment, I'm just a grandfather sitting in the attic. I'm not leading anyone. I don't think that's true, Peter. No. I think you're leading lots of people. I know lots of people who look up to you immensely. And I think your leadership is, can, can be as strong from an, from a, uh, an attic as it was from, the, from your uh, alternative mayoral uh, jewellery. Chains. <laughs> uh, I did want to just quickly give you the opportunity um, to quick, because obviously the, in theory, the local elections are happening this year. Um, many, many across the UK. And that's why Flatpak 2021 has galvanised to do everything we've talked about, try and bring people along this journey and and reclaim some of that agency and local power. So what is there anything you'd like to say to an audience who maybe might be open to this? 
might be willing to support the campaign, not just not even going so far as standing, but supporting in different ways. Yeah, might be supporting other individuals or, or helping persuade other people or chatting to other people, chatting to the, you know, the guy who works in the co-op and saying, have you ever thought about being a counsellor? You know, because, yeah, you may not be able to because, you know, Sam's got young children. It's not where he's going to go at the moment. And, and you know, it's got a whole pirate fleet to run, you know, but you may know people. And um, so, yes, um, definitely. I mean, there's a quite a good website on Flatback 2021. And, and this, we're just a group of um, people giving time because we think this is worth doing, essentially to network groups and individuals together who want to try and up the quality um, of local government. I mean, or, you know, particularly parish and town councils, but also quite a few district and metropolitan. So there are groups from Hull and Grimsby through to Bude to, you know, all over the country who are looking to stand. I think, personally, it's very likely that May 2021 elections will be postponed, but possibly just later into the summer or into the autumn. So they will happen. Um, and, yeah, uh, it's it's steering people towards that website, encouraging others to at least think about it and to, yeah, ask us more, get in touch. And, yeah, it, I, we don't need money particularly. We seem to be doing this for nothing. Um, but but time and, and energy is more than welcome. Thank you for tuning in today. Our hope with this podcast is that each time it might inspire a few more people to realise that the way things are is not the way they have to be, and that maybe it's time for you to step up and take that leap into the unknown. If you like what you heard, then please consider subscribing to the podcast on the platform of your choice. Even better, share this with a friend, leave a review, let us know who you'd like us to interview next, or of course, just tell us how you're being more pirate. We are first and foremost a community. So we'd really love to hear from you. Go to at Be More Pirate on Instagram or Twitter or visit BeMorePirate.com. See you next time.